0: This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309.
1: This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO missoula's news and weather station
2: hey welcome everybody it's a brand new week for talkback this morning talkback is brought to you by brooklyn bagel and bakery for all your new york favorites for the new year they've got lox they've got new york cheesecake they've got cannolis and those delicious bagel sandwiches a brooklyn bagel bakery located out on north reserve also brought to you by phillips janitorial Well, they have residential and commercial cleaning, so whether you have your home or your business, they do an excellent job. As No job is too big or small. If you'd like a free estimate, call 260-406, obviously, 406-260-6617. The views and opinions expressed on Talkback are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Well, here we are—a brand new week on Talkback this morning. Actually, the first full week, right, of yes. the new year.
3: Yeah, yes, it is. There you go.
2: Good to have you along, everybody. That's Nick Christianson over there. Good morning. You're not wearing your Giants sweatshirt. Only today. when they win.
3: Yeah. O- only yeah. when they win. But well, they didn't try to win this yeah. week. They. <laughs> rested all their players because they had nothing to play for so seriously yeah they were they were already locked into the five seat of the play, or sorry the six seat of the playoffs so they right. really had nothing to play for so they rested pretty much 90 percent of their starters so. so
2: so they're in the playoffs
3: yeah oh okay oh, yeah, they okay. play saturday they'll okay. play the minnesota vikings saturday or sorry sunday afternoon they play the vikings so. hmm Okay. playoffs are underway
2: it's all official right. now good to know all right so i i, I don't understand all that that's uh <laughs> beyond my comprehension anyway a uh, good news about uh demar hamlin uh he, he's tweeting yeah now, uh, is, 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 has he actually done an interview with anybody yet or,
3: or uh what? no no media but he's yeah. been on like facetime calls with friends and family and teammates so they've shared some of those videos
2: but he seems to be in good spirits excellent all right that's good good to to know good to know and you know what's really interesting (laughs) and and uh, people have brought this up and i i should have thought of it myself uh when he was when he was severely injured right Mm -hmm. and the players were all you know kneeling and they were praying like crazy and, and and Every player from both teams, right, on the field, all the coaching staffs, all kneeling and praying together, da-da-da-da, mm-hmm. which was celebrated by everybody. Yeah. But when Tim Tebow did it, <laughs> when he was playing, he was soundly ridiculed. How dare you bring religion into football? So I'm thinking, wait a minute now, come on, we're, <laughs> we're obviously not being consistent here, right? Yeah, so. well,
3: and, and it's funny, too, because, like, it's all the way down to even the high school level. Like, teams pray before every game. They pray after right. every game. Right. Yeah. Coaches have said even players that aren't religious, you still hold hands and, right. you know, say a prayer.
2: Exactly. So. And so uh, I, I, think, I think it's great. Uh, you know, if, if you want to pray, pray. If, if you don't want to pray, don't pray. But you know what? If somebody wants to pray, let them. I, is that such a bad thing? I, like, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, up, go ahead. Yeah. I was going
3: to say, you go to the Grizz games and, you know, when the Grizz come out the tunnel. Right. You know, certain players go to the end zone and take a knee and pray, and right. you see the opponents doing that too. So I mean, it's yeah, it's a, it, I don't, I don't think anyone's discouraged from yeah, from yeah, praying. Yeah. But the Tebow thing was a
2: weird situation. So why was it a weird situation? Well, no, I just mean how because people he was, reacted. He, he, was, he was doing it all by himself, maybe. Well, or, or, <laughs> did people think maybe he was just showing off or doing it in a certain way or whatever? I think I, he was just the first player that took it to
3: that level, yeah, and so yeah. people weren't ready for it. But right. but okay. yeah, I don't know.
2: Anyway, all right. So, seven two one twelve ninety is our number. Dave is waiting on the phone. Dave, what is on your mind, sir?
4: Yes. Since we're talking about sports, uh, you know, I was been concerned about the, you know, would they want to build a, a balloon for an indoor practice field for the Grizzlies? and it would be really important in my view yes I, the, bl- you know, I
2: believe that money's already been allocated for that yeah
4: right but it's you know it's it's important because that's smoke season here in montana right and yeah but my problem is the the plan is uh you want seven million well uh bozeman is putting one up that was 14 million <laughs> and,
2: <laughs> right i'll show you
4: Yeah, <laughs> and and their, their program is much more related to both helping the the football team and track team. It'll have a full track field and some a few stands, and and I, in my view, it's much more usable than than our plan. And, well, maybe maybe, our...
2: maybe we should send our players over to use their facility. just kidding just kidding
4: i think we should try upgrading our plan and go for something closer to a bozeman well
2: well i'll tell you what uh if you want to contact the boosters i'm sure if you can raise the extra money they'd love to do that we could we could put you in put you in charge david it'd be great i'm i would
4: willing to I'll put it this way i'd be willing to donate some money to it if it was if if they wanted to get together and do it uh you're closer to the booster fans than I am, so.
2: <laughs> well I, I will tell you that this this is uh a, a, from what i understand this is all funded privately it's that there, there, yeah. there's no state money involved here so mm-hmm.
4: well that's that sounds like a good deal if we I would support something more than the $7 million. I would support the $14 million for, for the use of the, for a lot of people, you know, even for the kids in Missoula who wanted to have soccer games. So it would be a multi-use system rather than just a practice. Well, I,
2: I, I would give uh, Kent, Kent Haslam a call. He's the athletic director at the University of Montana. And visit with him about it and uh, run that past it.
4: Well, I've talked to him once about another subject. Uh, maybe I'll talk to him about he, that one, he, too.
2: He is a very good man, so uh, I, I, would, uh, I would encourage you to do that.
4: Okay, and, and the other listeners out there, too.
2: Thanks, Dave. Thank appreciate, you. Appreciate the call. Yep. seven seven two one twelve ninety 1290 is our number. It's open <laughs> phones, by the way, for this, uh, for this first half hour. And then at 9 o'clock this morning, we'll be visiting with uh, Rob Nadelson from the Independence Institute. I think Harry's up next. Good morning, Harry. Yeah, good morning. It's yeah, been a while since we've new, heard new, from new you. Welcome welcome back, man. Yeah,
5: since last year. Yeah. What's up? What's up? Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about the uh, tax uh, cuts that uh, um, forte put out, wants to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: It sounds great. He's talking about you know, a, bi- uh, a billion. Uh,
2: his, his headline is a billion dollars in tax cuts for the state of Montana. Yeah, go ahead.
5: Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, and everybody will be happy to get some money back, but you know, the trouble is, you know it's i, I think it's kind of short-sighted because you know they're probably counting that while well, we had all the surplus and all that but that of course every almost everybody agrees that they, that came from uh the federal you know shoveling money out right and so now it's, it's that money definite, ain't definitely be there. One,
2: definitely one time money yeah go ahead
5: yeah so that money ain't going to be there and further down the road they're going to all of a sudden come up short and then then what we are going to do is going to say well we're going to have to start cutting services, and the one service that they most Republicans didn't want in the first place is extending Medicare. And so they're going to start looking. At, oh well, we're going to have to cut back on the Medicare now because you know that that's just taking too much money. And I, I I I think it's really foolish. I really think they should should hold off. You know, if if got another year and they get a surplus, okay. Now you know now we got a, a uh, you know. Uh, a, thing that shows that it's no more than just the one-time thing you know it, so so maybe yeah, they I, should
2: I, maybe should have to put that that billion dollars in, in an interest-bearing account and let it and let it just sit there and, and percolate for a year and then maybe spend the money and use the interest for something else
5: yeah that wouldn't have been bad either yeah just but just the idea that well we're going to cut you know well the sur- surplus so now it shows that we have we're bringing in too much money you know I, I say it sounds nice and everybody will be happy to get some money but, in the it's i think it's foolish, you know not looking too forward, you know you uh it's like you get a, you win a lottery, and then I'll, then you know, oh wow, now. I can spend like I'm a billionaire when all we got a $100,000, you know, lottery ticket.
2: Well, they, so they, they ran so out of they ran out of drunken sailors. So <laughs> <laughs> Harry, we we got to take a break. Thanks for the call, man. All right. Appreciate it. Appreciate uh, it. Up, uh, we've got Len, Skip and Mr. Wingnut all waiting to visits so open phones. So whatever might be on your mind, uh 7 we're going to come right back after this. Hey, we are back, and you guys are rocking the open phones things today, so let's just jump right back in and get Len on the line. Good morning, Len. Good morning. I
6: don't understand the, the, the principle about people spend millions and millions of dollars on ball fields and, and everything that it takes to chase a ball around, and they holler about what it's going to cost to provide somebody medical care. But they don't holler about what it takes to to build that ball field, and and I don't get it. You know, my dog and cat chase a ball around; they're not heroes for doing that. And I don't understand the whole concept of that. And that that's what we look at anymore. Our heroes are ball players.
2: Well, if that's here's the ball dumbest players, thing I've ever well, seen. Well, Len, ballplayers uh, ball players have always been heroes. Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, I know, know, Jim but Brown. It's dumb. I mean, all those folks.
6: It's dumb. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> You know, we've got soldiers and people that have given a lot to this country True. that are our heroes, and a lot of them are living on the street homeless while they're building ball fields for all these people to play in. And they whine their head off about every nickel they got to spend for somebody's help and to take care of somebody or to provide a home for somebody. And then the other part of it is they, they whine about that, but you go down to that border, they're feeding those people, they're clothing them, they're giving them beddings and a place to sleep and everything else Why our own people have nothing. I, and I, I just, I don't understand any of it.
2: It is a misplaced priorities, that's for sure. You bet. Thanks, Len. Okay, appreciate thank appreciate the call, sir. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Skip is up next. Good morning, Skip. Welcome. Good
7: morning, sir. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to make a statement to you, Peter, about something you brought up uh, right near the end of last week. Okay. Which I very much appreciated, uh, having to do with um, uh, the marijuana issue in the state and the monies that... Uh, uh, were spent over three hundred million dollars, if I'm not mistaken, and the derivative from that for the state would, I think, be I'm going to guess fifty or sixty million, something like that. But you know those numbers. But I, I appreciated your uh, your opinion of the marijuana issue in the state.
2: That's just my opinion, I, man, So.
7: Yes, sir. and mine is i mean lockstep i think but i think it's going to contribute to the deterioration of the fabric of our state but it was about exactly a year ago that when rob was on he gave a litany of things that happened uh in the state of colorado uh after the marijuana issue was approved and uh i just wanted to point that out to you because it's something to keep our eye on, especially how the monies that the state will collect uh, in tax uh, how the how those monies get used and the list of things that they go to uh, people should uh, learn what that list is because it might make them scratch their head a little bit as to whether those are the things that the monies should go to. so I just wanted to point that out so people could could uh, bone up on it a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it'll come up in this well, legislature.
2: Well, I, I will tell you, there's there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. Okay, it is it is out, and we have to we have to deal with it, you know. So okay, well that's
7: true, and and thank you for for at least having uh, ideas and and listening to ideas about what, whether it's good or bad for the state of Montana. All thank right. you, sir.
2: Thanks for the call. Appreciate that. Uh, Wingnut is a uh, Mr. Nut. Good morning. What's on your mind?
7: Good. Oh, good morning. You know, the, the week dawned bright and clear and cold. and Much to my surprise, the republic seems to be
2: intact. <laughs> we're so we're still a, standing, aren't we? Yeah, yeah,
7: yeah. Yes. So I had a question for the folks that last week seemed to be having a bad case of the vapors over how a representative, representative republic works uh, in the case of the election of the Speaker of the House. And my question is, okay... Which of the concessions that were gained by the Freedom Caucus or the Rebels uh, do you disagree with?
2: So I'd like to hear from those folks to, over the week. Thanks. Okay, thanks for the call. Uh, appreciate that. It's open phones. This is Quintessential Open Phones. Jeff is up next. Jeff, good morning. Thanks for holding. You're on.
8: Hey, good morning and happy new year. I, we've been traveling the last three month or three weeks, so uh had to listen to you on podcasts.
2: Mm. Wow. Thanks for listening. That, that's, that was, yeah. give, give me that gold star. I'm going to put it up on, on Jeff's deal. <laughs> there there go. Right. <laughs> go ahead. What, what's on your mind, sir?
8: Um, just a comment about uh, DeMar Hamlin. And uh, I find it really interesting that the first thing he said when he woke up was, did we win? <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, true story.
8: Yeah, I mean, it, yeah.
2: Well, yeah. He, 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 up, actually, he it, actually wrote it because he still had the tubes down his throat.
8: Right. Uh, and yet, the powers that be, you know, in his mind, I think, they should have just continued to play the game. And they didn't. They called the game, can't be rescheduled. It affects statistics and stuff, pretty minor stuff compared to his life. But um, I cannot recall another game getting canceled after a player got injured on the field. Can you?
2: No. I, 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 has, let me ask you this. Has a player ever died? On the field uh, and, and been taken I have off? Idea.
8: it. I'm not a sports aficionado, so I can't answer that.
2: It's happened but in soccer, but I don't make... know about football. Yeah, yeah.
8: The point I'm trying to make is that uh, people get injured on the field. It's a violent sport. It's right. the most violent sport we have, I think, outside of maybe uh, um, some of the Olympic stuff going down, the bobsledding and that sort of stuff. Right. Uh, but this is the first time that I can recall that they canceled it. So... You know, is that re- is that a reflection of our culture? Have we tr- is that just another indication that we turn into a culture of snowflakes? That we, I mean, we will mourn the guy getting injured, but then we go back on the field and win one win one for the Gipper kind right. of a, kind of a moment. Exactly. Um, it just it just, that's just what struck me after I heard about his injury. And then his question was, uh, why did they cancel it? I don't know. Maybe somebody out there has an answer for me. That. Uh, it makes us different than any well, f- other time somebody's gotten injured, but I don't know. Now, Dick, you're closer to football
3: yeah, I mean, than I am. Go ahead, yeah. Well, and the main reason it got canceled is because the players were so emotional that they were so could not up, yeah. continue. I mean, in terms of rescheduling the game, I mean, I don't know how those conversations went, but, you know, there's there's no extra weeks anymore to to play another game, and so, but... but I mean, those those players saw one of their brothers basically die on the field and have to be resuscitated. I mean, he had cardiac arrest, and they gave him CPR for I think eight or nine minutes on the field. Yeah, so, the start his heart,
2: start his heart twice. Yeah, yeah, I
3: mean, it, it was it was something that it, you say the word injury, and yeah, it was an injury, but it's nothing that anybody has ever seen before. So it was very, uh, it was just one of those situations where no one really knew the best way to handle it in the moment. So.
8: I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that does make it different. I just, my first reaction when I heard his question was, um, yeah, I'd never heard, I'd never seen anything like it before. So, yeah,
7: um,
8: maybe that does make it different. It just, it just seems like win one for the Gipper would have been a better response. But that's
2: just me. All right, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the call, Jeff. Hey, we're up against a break. Uh, Tim is waiting. Doctor, uh, no, Doctor Colonel Tim Gardeby <laughs> is waiting to visit with us. And at the top of the hour, ladies and gentlemen, Rob Nadelson will be joining us from the Independence Institute, answering your questions, and he also has some things uh, to say uh, as well about some other things that he has been working on. So we're going to come right back uh, with more of talk back in a moment. Attention, Montanans. How is your job to school?
5: Let me tell you.
2: Okay, we're back on Talkback. Let's get right back to the phones because we're running short of time, and a lot of people want to visit uh, Colonel Tim. Go ahead, sir. You're on.
9: Yes. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Nick. Good morning, Peter.
2: Yes.
9: Yeah, continuing with uh, football, college football, which I'm a great fan of. Yesterday, the North Dakota State Bison were uh, they ended their long, long. uh wins or trophy wins right the they National
2: were they Champions. were soundly beaten by the jackrabbits yeah
9: yes they were soundly beaten 45 to 21 it was a fantastic game i don't know whoever watched it but it was a they really did some great offensive work there
2: it would be really interesting it would be really interesting colonel tim to look at these statistics of who did watch that game because you've got north dakota and south dakota and who else <laughs> you know uh anyway yeah
9: yeah, it was great game. Uh, Continuing on college football now. College football, the national championship is tonight. Uh, actually, starting at five thirty p.m. Mountain, I think. Cool. And that's uh, TCU versus uh, Georgia. And uh, of course, I've been a fan of TCU for a long time.
2: The Horn Frogs, have, right? Yeah.
9: Yes, the Horn Frogs. They have some. They have a secret weapon, uh, and one of their secret weapons is the. Uh, their strength coach, really, and one, uh, yes, yes, they uh, they really have improved. Uh, they've had an amazing season, uh, comebacks and uh, some really wild plays they are really fun to watch. And it, one of the things the, the uh, defense coach tells them, and everybody should think about this, is when they start getting uh, upset and in a panic and having high anxiety and whatnot, he has, he uses a term called. D F O. That means don't freak out. <laughs> so everybody should think about that. <laughs> well <laughs> like that.
2: well put. Thanks, Colonel Temp. You bet. Take, I watched the he, game tonight. Oh okay, buddy. Thanks so much. Jack is up next. Jack, we've got about two, two minutes. Go ahead, sir. Actually, about a minute and a half.
10: Uh I I called because I watched the election of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I thought that was a great lesson in civics. I thought uh, Representative Rosendale explained why why the fight was going on in Congress. And what I found most interesting was that they allowed everybody to see the entire Congress um, working the, those nights, uh, which isn't normal. They normally all you see is the lectern, and you only see one person which explains why one person can go in and pass a bill and you think other people are there working on it. There may not be anybody else in there. So I'd like to thank all the representatives that were there uh, for the work they were doing. And it was a great lesson for, I think everybody should have learned something that night.
2: Well, Jack, we really appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. All right, and uh, Marilyn, I'm terribly sorry we couldn't get your call in. We are simply out of time for this segment uh, of Open Phones, but Rob Nadelson is going to be joining us at the top of the hour. Uh, by the way, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens now to uh, Congressman Rosendale because he was one of the, I think, eight uh, Republicans who voted present. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if there's any any backlash or repercussions or retribution uh, against, against Matt Rosendale. So it could be worth having him on again. Uh, uh, I, he, he likes to call into the Montana Morning Show, so hopefully I, we can get him to do that maybe sometime next week or this week even. All right, we'll be back after the top of the hour Talk with Rob Nadelson when we return.
1: Some people got COVID and thought...
2: On Monday's Montana Morning, Devin Cozart with DPHHS on the alarming increase in flu cases. For the total number
1: of
11: cases over a full flu season for the past five seasons, we see about... Nine thousand, um, almost ten thousand cases. Uh, so, for partway through the flu season, we're at almost what we see for the full entire flu season. Uh, so, it's a pretty severe increase. And like I said, it's it's really starting early this year.
2: Montana Morning weekdays six to eight thirty on KGVO AM and FM and the KGVO app. How's your drive to school?
5: This is Talkback,
0: 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309.
1: This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's hour number two of Talkback uh, this Monday, sponsored by Phillips Janitorial. you got some cleaning you need done, whether it's your home or your business. No job is too big or too small for the folks at Phillips Janitorial. So you want a free estimate, I give them a call at 406, obviously, 260 Also brought to you by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. Authentic New York bagels and pastries all the way flown in fresh, in fact, from Little Italy. Uh, right here in Missoula, Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery, located on North Reserve. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, Here we are. We're back again. Uh, another hour of TalkBack is underway for this Monday. I'm Peter Christian, by the way. That's, that's Nick Questionson over there. He's our show producer and taking your phone calls. And we are honored and privileged to have with us once again, ladies and gentlemen, from the Independence Institute, our friend Rob Nadelson. Rob, good morning, sir. Good morning. I was surprised to hear
12: that the opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the station or the broadcast or the uh, advertisers. And my question, Peter, is why
2: not yeah i I ask myself (laughs) that all the time what are you guys doing here you don't agree with us (laughs) and shame on you if you don't anyway but it's good to have you back rob thank you uh uh we already have people uh lined up to talk with you but i wanted you to to go ahead and uh, there are some things that you really wanted to to talk about a little bit uh here on this edition of talk back and i know um one of those i think was uh let's see here uh was oh that's right oh, about we keep hearing how conservative the u.s supreme court is and you beg you <laughs> beg to differ in that respect
12: oh yeah um the um the mainstream media are always tell us that the supreme court is currently composed of a six to three conservative majority and uh Liberals, of course, generally say that, but many conservatives say it as well, especially those tied into the political establishment who want to demonstrate the benefit of having Republican appointees. And what I do in a recent Epic Times article is I say, look, suppose we had a court that truly was a conservative six to three majority, that that it was conservative, not in the sense that Justice Roberts or Justice Thomas – are called conservative but but if they were activist conservatives like like we have activist liberals on the court like Sonia Sotomayor who seemed to be driven to reach liberal results if we had six justices like that activist conservatives what would what would it be like? And a lot of people don't know this or haven't thought about this because we really haven't had an activist conservative on the Supreme Court since Justice James McReynolds retired in uh, 1941. But we can reconstruct what a court like that would look like, and then I go through all, uh, prospective decisions it would issue. It would probably strike down minimum wage laws as violating the due process clause of the clauses of the 5th of the and 14th amendment. It would certainly strike down um, vast amounts of, of federal law, not just Obamacare, but also probably man- mandatory Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid. Um, it would um, uh, it, it might very well elevate Christianity to a preferred position, holding that under the First Amendment, the um, the freedom of religion in the First Amendment is meant to mostly just maintain equality among Christian sects, but otherwise Christianity has a preferred position. Now, these sorts of results are the kinds of results that were reached by conservative activist courts early in the 20th century, and they're the kinds of results that some deeply libertarian and conservative writers have argued for obviously we don't have a court like that so it's not really fair or accurate to describe the current supreme court as conservative centrist status quo oriented might be a better might be better descriptions but certainly not conservative those um <laughs> those liberals are, who are describing the court as conservative have no idea what a truly conservative court
2: would do Now, Rob, let let me ask you, I know that that Justice Thomas has hinted at retirement uh, uh, in in the last couple of years. Do you think he's just going to hang on until the next administration to see if if there's going to be a Republican or a Democrat to replace him? Or is that even in in your in your uh, ballpark there?
12: Well, you know, I don't know Justice Thomas. I've met him once. um, And so I can't read his personal preferences Certainly, justices do, if they can, try to hang on until a president of with whom they're ideologically more compatible is in a position to appoint a replacement. Often, uh, the good Lord takes that decision out of the justices' hands. I mean, uh, Justice Thomas is 74 years old. Uh, I guess he's overweight. Uh, there, there's, there are always risks. Uh, I personally hope he lives another 30 30 years, and serves on the court for 40. But <laughs> but um, we don't always. You know we're not always able to make those decisions.
2: You bet. We're up against our first break and we have Emmett and Skip both waiting to visit with you already, Rob. Rob Nadelson joining us. By the way, we have several phone lines open if you have a question for Rob Nadelson from the Independence Institute. We're going to come right back after this. For a healthy life. And we are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. Nick questionson over there taking your phone calls. Joining us on the phone right now is Dr. Robert Nadelson uh, from the Independence Institute. Uh, They're over there in in Denver, and folks are lined up to talk with you, Rob. So let's start with Emmett. He was up first. Good morning, Emmett. You're on.
1: Thanks for taking my call. Well, I've got a question and a comment, but you know, um, I was very upset with um, what um, Donald Trump did say about the Constitution, trying to remove parts of it. That I started to have a second look about Donald Trump, but when they persecuted him in the Congress, made criminal referrals for what aiding and abetting or conspiracy which is more like almost thinking about it when there's no proof that he wanted to overthrow the government overthrow our democracy and it's a republic not a democracy or whatever this was so that and they admitted they don't want him to run again I was appalled, and I realized he is constitutional. They're terrified of him. He could be in handcuffs this year. I don't know, and they refer to the DOJ. But I thought, Robert, that Congress didn't have the authority to, you know, say, these are criminal referrals. Does uh, Does the Constitution allow the Congress of the United States to say, here are criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. We want... Donald Trump under arrest. I thought that was only the preview of the Department of Justice, and I don't even know if that's constitutional. So. All right,
2: Emmett, we're going to let him that. answer your question. So constitutionally, Rob, uh, should should Donald Trump be arrested, charged, and convicted of something? What, 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 are the, what happens if he, he's, he has declared he's running?
12: Well, uh, first, uh, thanks for calling, Emmett. Um, these so-called referrals are simply recommendations I mean, any, any citizen can go down to the local law enforcement office and say, I want X prosecuted, and here's why I want X prosecuted. And that's, in effect, what Congress is doing. Did uh, the January 6th committee abuse its power? No question. I mean, their referrals are based upon uh, uh, evidence that is doctored, uh, where no cross-examination was allowed. It's, a, uh, it's an abuse of power. It's a political circus. And if the media were more honest about things, they would, they, they would tell people that. Unfortunately, they don't. And so many people are unaware of the extent to which the January 6th committee uh, hearing was at best
2: a kangaroo court. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. Get some more calls in, I believe. We have Skip on the line. Skip, good morning. You're on with Rob Nadelson. Go ahead.
7: Good morning, Peter. And and good morning, Rob. And and sir, you uh you haven't been on since before uh New Year's or Christmas or Hanukkah, and I hope they were pleasant for you, sir. Uh well thank so- you very
12: much. Just I can only do it once a month. <laughs> Limited for that. Yeah.
7: That's wonderful that you give us that opportunity to have an interactive uh, lecture hall. And uh, by the way, uh, I had a call last night uh, and, and had a nice conversation with about a very specific bill uh, with uh, uh, Representative Beatty, who's my representative. And it was about the bill that Senator uh, Tom McGillivray is bringing, which is a an initiative about the convention of states and it's coming up soon and the reason that uh and i'll give you this question in a second that he came up with uh and it has to do with all of the negativity in advertisements and op-eds about the convention of states all of a sudden that is uh i believe a bunch of lies having to do with the Convention of States affecting our Second Amendment. And there's advertisements out there with phone numbers to call, which, by the way, go right back to the John Birch Society headquarters right here in the Bitterroot. And so the reason I bring it up is there's people that are actually calling our legislators asking for explanations about this, and they're having to uh, wade through that when, in fact, uh, David and myself certainly believe that there is no effect on the Second Amendment by anything to do with the Convention of States. And what this resolution is for is to try and get us to, as maybe be the 20th state, to uh, make an application to the Convention of States. And it's outlined very carefully with three initiatives which my guess is you would know about. So I wanted to tell everybody, there's and I hope you can back it up, that, or, or tell me I'm wrong, that there's nothing about convention states that will ever affect our Second
2: Amendment. All I'll right. leave it there, sir. Thanks for the call, Skip. Uh, go ahead, Rob. It's all yours.
12: Yeah, let me tell you what I think is going on here. Uh, as you know, I'm currently in Colorado. And a number of years ago, there was a rather unscrupulous group that, claimed it was a defender of the Second Amendment and started sending out um, started sending out material to donors saying the Convention of States was going to cause repeal of the Second Amendment. Well, I was uh, involved in a study group at that time on this issue. We knew that was false because the Convention of States application, the mechanism that would go from the legislature to Congress, uh, forbids any tampering with the Bill of Rights. And so the... Um, and so one member of the committee said, you know, I know the guy who is actually sending out this stuff, uh, telling people that uh, uh, that the Convention of States is going to harm the Bill of Rights. I'll go talk to him and ask him why he's doing it. And um, he, he did. And he came back to the committee at, his, at our next meeting and said I spoke to him. He, he said he really didn't know that much about it, but it was really good for raising funds. <laughs> it was really a good way of shaking the money tree. And my personal belief is that's really what's going on. Now, you may ask yourself, well, where where did all this false portrayal of a convention of states as a constitutional convention that can do anything? And so where did that come from? Several years ago, I investigated that very question. And I found that that was disinformation first publicized. Uh, in the 1960s, and especially the 1970s, by a group of, of establishment liberals with very good connections. Uh, people like Charles Black at the Yale Law School, uh, Theodore Sorensen, the Kennedy speechwriter, Arthur Goldberg, Kennedy's um, John Kennedy's Secretary of Labor, and so forth. They had great access to the media, and they did not want to see the... the uh, Constitution amended in a conservative way, which was threatening to occur at, occur at the time. So they developed this whole story, this whole line, that groups like the John Birch Society repeat now. But it, but, it, but it's all from liberals. I mean, it, liberals invented this stuff in order to stop uh, conservative amendments. In fact, as the caller said, the Convention of States application is limited to three subjects, having nothing to do with the Bill of Rights, And um, but but having to do with things like term limits and limiting the power of the federal government, putting fiscal restraints on the federal government kind of thing that people have been asking for for 50 years. And will this be legally effective? Yes, it will be legally effective. Those limits will because we have 200 years of uh, Article Five uh, Amendment case law, on the point, some another point they never mention. So, don't please don't believe that stuff uh, about about the Second Amendment. All the, all they're doing by publicizing that nonsense is protecting the D.C. swamp.
2: All right, uh, with that, Rob, we're up against a break. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Or you can use the KGVO app in case you haven't uh, realized that. There's a message us button on the app. And because everybody's got one, you can just hit that message us button. It'll come directly to Nick, and we'll pass that along to Rob Nadelson. So if you don't have time to call, uh, please use the app. We'll be right back. Several other phone lines open, by the way. It's seven two We'll be back right after this. Pom.
5: Before I was adopted, I felt alone.
2: After spending years in
3: foster care, Lexi worried that she and her brother were too old to be adopted. Thankfully, the siblings were adopted, with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption.
1: I love teenagers. To see how brave Lexi was and how she opened herself up to being in a family, all of a sudden, she's holding my hand and calling me mom, It was really special.
3: Every child, no matter their age, deserves to grow up in a safe, permanent home.
1: Children at every age experience challenges. Teenagers are more complex than young children, but in the best ways.
3: You're never too old for family. Learn how you can help children still waiting to be adopted from foster care at DaveThomasFoundation.org. Meet Ingrid, fiery spirit, caring grandma, proud trucker.
13: I've logged more than 4 million miles in my truck. If people knew what
3: I know, lives could be saved. I was driving outside of Ohio when a gentleman stopped suddenly in front of me, but it takes my 80,000 pound truck 200 yards to stop. I'd given myself extra room, but it's not a chance worth taking. It's, it's
9: our
12: roads, it's, it's our, our
2: safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov
12: My
11: name is Corporal Bradley Joseph Seitz Jerry Reed
7: Kate Weber These are real veterans facing a real challenge I have PTSD And I have PTSD I have PTSD
2: Post-traumatic stress disorder can happen to anyone
3: I was still in a war zone in my mind
2: But treatment can turn your life around Treatment has really saved my life To learn about PTSD and how treatment can help you, call your local VA medical center or visit ptsd.va.gov. And we're back on TalkBack. Now, Rob Nadelson joining us uh, from the uh, Independence Institute in Denver. Before we get to more calls, uh, I wanted to relate to you. Uh, I had a chance to, we we talked about this on TalkBack, actually, uh, when Matt Rosendale on on YouTube was basically talking about uh, the naivete of people like me who think, that the house of representatives has 435 people they're in there pitching they're introducing bills they're debating they're arguing they're voting they're going back and forth but he said that very rarely happens in this in this building and i was taken aback so i i know you wanted to comment on that
12: yeah i wanted to make, make two points number one um when i made the comment about how the john birch society talking points were actually generated developed and disseminated by liberals uh, in the in the 70s as a way of stopping conservative amendments. Uh, I I actually put out a study on that. It documents everything. You can actually read some of the articles and things yourself. If you go to the Article 5 Information website, Article 5 Information Center website, that has the story and all the links and so forth. Secondly, your comment about Matt Rosendale, I'll give you a parallel story. Uh, There's a fellow from northeast Colorado. His name was Ken Buck. Ken Buck was interested in running for Congress. I met him in 2011, and I asked him about a convention of states, and he didn't like the idea. Well, he was subsequently elected to Congress, and he was so aghast at what was going on that he wrote a book called Drain the Swamp. You can buy it on Amazon, Drain the Swamp. It's a good book. And in the book, he firmly comes out for a convention of states. This is the only way to cure the situation. Otherwise, it would just go on and on and on until the country slips into bankruptcy and perdition.
2: All right, let's get right back to the phones. Uh, Dave has been waiting the longest. Good morning, Dave. You're on Talk Back with Rob Nadelson.
4: Yes, good morning. I was wondering about the president's rights. Uh, does he have a right to destroy uh, documents while he's in office and overtake? documents home with him after he leaves office or is or there are laws against taking documents and um, i'm wondering if he you believe if he's above the law or not
2: okay thanks for the call Dave. yeah
12: well i, I think the second part is easy to answer no he's not above the law he's uh, what we call a republican small r republican magistrate he's not a king he's subject to the laws Uh, As to whether he can destroy documents in office, if these are documents generated within the executive branch, I would say yes. I mean, he is in control of the executive branch, and one of the reasons why we have a what's called a unitary executive, that is to say an executive with one person at the top, uh, is in order to be able to preserve secrecy. And sometimes, especially in the case of foreign affairs documents, documents need to be destroyed. Um, as to whether he could take documents with him after he leaves, that I can't really answer. It require, requires a interpretation of the statute. I know that presidents historically have coordinated with the gov- government to take documents with them. I think the question probably is directed to Donald Trump and whether he actually dotted the i's and crossed the t's regarding the law you know i i just don't know i mean i haven't studied that
2: case all right let's get uh, jeff on the line jeff good morning you're on with rob nadelson go ahead sir
8: hey solway rob how you doing solway
1: for those
12: uh, for those of you for those of you who don't know, don't don't know what we're talking about solway is a latin word for hello
2: or or they would uh, say what's up <laughs>
12: <laughs> what's up? Yeah. Oh, what's yeah.
7: up? What's so, up with me hey uh, quit,
8: quit Novi. <laughs> quit Novi. Now, now, that, now that we've proven our age, uh, the whole uh, election of the Speaker of the House this cycle, um, the mainstream media has portrayed that as the Republicans in disarray and uh, unable to come together and, you know, a minority of extreme conservatives blocking the process and i view it more as this is real democracy in action this is how the republic is supposed to work with debates and back and forth and you know we talk about concessions and compromises uh, you know nobody has compromised their principles in this they've compromised exactly what they want to have as a result of the principles um But I'm at loss of of words to actually describe it properly. And so I'm asking you with your expertise, can you, uh, can you kind of frame this in a sense that would uh, give people in the listening audience, uh, a, a better sense of what's actually happening here in terms of array versus disarray and, uh, and, uh, freedom versus, uh, the authoritarianism of the previous uh, session of Congress and that speaker of the House.
2: i tell you what, let's tell you what, here's, here's what let's do. Thanks for the call, Jeff. Uh, Rob, if you don't mind waiting till the break is over to explain that because we're like less than a minute to our, our break. Sure. And uh, that will not uh, provide you enough time to do that. So we're going to come right back. Uh, we also have Julie waiting to visit with you. Several phone lines open. And of course, you can use the KGVO app to message us we will be happy to pass that along to Rob Nadelson. We'll be back with more of Talk Back with uh, Rob in just a moment. I never write reviews. Okay, we're back on Talk Back. Rob Nadelson joining us from the Independence Institute in Denver. Now, Jeff's question is a good one. Um, uh, wh- how would you categorize what went on uh, last week in the House of Representatives, Rob?
12: Well, Jeff said he wanted me to characterize it in some way better than he could, but he he characterized it pretty well, I think. It was politics. And uh, the media spin is just that. It's spin. I came across an article written by the New York Times, which profiled uh, some of the um, uh, rebellious conservatives and the the headline was something like, how far right are McCarthy's opponents? And of course, the 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 gist of it is that they're falling off the end of the world on the right hand side. <laughs> I mean that that's just spin. Uh, you probably heard the old adage that uh, that uh, Bismarck said, which was that if you um, that you don't ever want to see either laws or sausages being made. Right, and both can be a pretty disgusting and chaotic process. And what we just saw is politics. It's a little bit more out in the open than it is sometimes. But I mean, what really are the media saying when they say that the Republicans shouldn't go through this? Are they saying that all the Republicans should just march in lockstep and cor and uh, uh, perform a coronation for the next person in line? If they did that, then there would be media ar- uh, articles about uh, you know how authoritarian they were and how no, no dissent of the Republican Party was allowed. So. The best thing to do in these circumstances is pretty much <laughs> either ignore what the media have to say, or better still, if you've got the time, read a wide range of sources so you get a better idea of what's happening.
2: Allow me to ask you this, Rob, before we get to our, our callers, uh, before we get to Julie, who's been waiting. Uh, what, what, what was it that Nancy Pelosi had an iron grip on her on her uh, on her party?
12: historically speakers have been like that i mean uh, speaker the most successful speakers of the house have been political bosses who know how to reward their friends and punish their enemies in that respect nancy pelosi was no different from many other speakers we've had uh my guess is that kevin mccarthy will try to consolidate his power and so he's so that he's in a position to uh to enforce his will again by rewarding friends and punishing enemies that's a large part of what politics is all about uh we're dealing right now with in colorado with a an anti-plastic bag bill uh which was passed by the very liberal legislature and you look at the bill and you see the way it's drafted and it's, it's allegedly about preventing plastic littering and pollution. But when you read it carefully, you realize it's really all about punishing the oil and gas industry because the oil and gas industry, especially the independent component, doesn't support Democrats. I mean, that is, that is typical politics. It's not a very pretty sight.
2: Let's, let's get Julie. She's been waiting very patiently. Julie, you're on with Rob. Go ahead, please. Thanks for holding. Good
1: morning. Thank you for being Hi, on Julie. and enlightening us. Um, I would like to know how it is, all these years, no one in Congress has ever gotten this situation out to the public. Can you explain how they keep such a tight wrap on everything?
12: I'm sorry, which situation are we talking about, Julie? Um, the
1: control. The control where the members of the uh, Congress are not allowed to speak openly?
12: Oh. Well, uh, actually some members have. I mentioned, uh, we, uh, Peter mentioned Matt Rosendale's YouTube and I mentioned uh, Colorado Representative Ken Buck as people who have written books about what the, what the um, uh, situation is really like in Congress. So it is out there. It tends not to get very much publicity and again, that's largely a function of the mainstream media. Let me tell you a story uh, told to me by a great Montanan named Richard Stroop, who was a um, professor uh, of economics at Montana State University for many years. He said um when he was a young lawyer for the Federal Trade Commission, he attended a congressional hearing and the the chairman of the um of the committee." came into the room uh, early before the committee was to meet and identified some reporter who had said something that he didn't like and just reamed him out with every curse word in the book. I mean, just let this reporter just, just, just dump the whole load on this reporter. And there were other reporters in the room. And Rick Stroop looked around and said, boy, this is going to be a big story. You know, uh, committee chairman loses it and and, and uh, uh, abuses reporter. The next day, he was shocked to find that not one news source had covered the story. The mainstream media maintain their sources and they maintain their feeling of importance by um, by playing along with the with, with the power structure. I mean, that's what part of what we call the swamp, and so. Although books on this subject have been have been written and articles have been written and interviews have been held, they tend not to get the kind of publicity uh, that events, let's say, like the January 6th committee get, that the media favor. That's just the unfortunate reality. Right. Uh, I, I, I can mention... Will yeah, the
1: Congress um, be on video from now on and open to the public to see what's going on?
12: Well, C-SPAN actually um, televises a lot of those hearings. And you can see when you look at the um, C-SPAN broadcasts that what Matt Rosendale said about there only being one or two people in a room for debate, that that's true. I mean, you've got somebody up there at a podium. He's giving a speech. He, there, are, there are three other people in the room, and they're not paying attention. They're messing with their smartphones. Um, back, in, back in 1994, a, um, uh, uh, the, um, uh, a man named, man by the name of Bill Richardson, the founder of Gun Owners of America, flew me to his ranch in California to try to convince me to run against Max Baucus for the U.S. Senate. And um, one of the things he told me is that if, if you think Congress is really about debate and analysis and committee hearings and so forth, that's not true. You know, it, it's really, it, it's a completely different organization than most of us think.
5: Thank the you best so way-
12: much. Go ahead, Julie. Thank you, Julie. You know, a good way of thinking about Congress now is it's like a brokerage house. You've got all of, or or, or an exchange, uh, of like a New York Stock Exchange. You've got all of these people who are buying and selling favors back and forth. And when the U.S. Supreme Court stopped enforcing most of the limits or some of the limits on the federal government back in the 1930s and 40s and said, well, Congress can spend whatever it wants for the general welfare and can regulate the entire economy, when the Supreme Court took those constitutional limits off, then um, – uh, that it took the limits on congress 's brokerage of favors off so that 's really what congress is about now it 's it 's about buying and selling special interest favors, and again, the only way to cure that is through a constitutional amendment, uh, making it very clear what the rules are, and of course, the only way to get a constitutional amendment is by ratification by three quarters of the states of a proposal from the convention of states
2: and with that we're up against a break we have uh, almost all of our phone lines are full we have ron joe and judd and a host of others who want to visit with rob nadelson will return right after this okay, we're back on talkback 721 1290 i just had rob chuckling with my uh my life verse rob so <laughs> i guess you hadn't heard that before <laughs>
12: No, I had not. You're only young once, but you can be immature forever.
2: There there, you go. There should be a bumper sticker. All right, let's 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 move on. Yes. And lots of folks want to visit with you. Ron, you're on with Rob. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, uh, my
6: question is this. You know, uh, Congress uh, can do about, I don't know, but uh, certain people should, I think, maybe be held up to accountability for pushing, mandating, and profiteering of what now looks like a more deadly than helpful vaccine. How do we do this? Or is certain people above accountability?
2: That's a very good question, Ron. Thanks. Uh, Rob, what do you think?
6: Well,
12: the easiest answer to that is get the federal government out of health care. I mean, the um, promotion of the vaccine was done by this uh, CDC and the National Institutes of Health, uh, two federal health agencies. I don't understand why we need federal health agencies. We have 50 states, they all have their own health agencies. We have the District of Columbia, it has its health agency. We've got literally thousands of health agencies around the country at the local level. We have dozens upon, I should say, scores of universities that do research uh, on on health related matters. And that doesn't even mention the research facilities of the pharmaceutical um, industry. The reason the um, uh, the federal government was able to get away with the overselling of vaccines, and by the way, I was vaccinated myself, as I think elderly people should be, but that doesn't mean that everybody should be. Um, the, way they were, the reason they were able to get, get away with overselling it is because they were the people at the top. It wasn't a matter of different health agencies reaching different conclusions and consulting with each other to try to work out what might be the best plan. Uh, you had one or two people like Anthony Fauci at the top. Whatever he said, the media gl- glommed upon, and that became Holy Rip. So a lot of what's wrong with the country, including that, in my view— is uh, due to the fact that we have a federal government that is far overgrown of uh, what it is good for. Um, now, as for holding people accountable, I don't think that people like Anthony Fauci will ever be held accountable. I, mean, I think that's the, the reality. I don't. Uh, most people in Congress who are doing horrible things to us will never be held accountable. All we can do is fix the system. This is a systemic problem even more than it's an individual culpability problem. And it has to be – Addressed by fixing the system.
2: Well, I'm going to ask you this: What what form of retribution would that take? I mean, uh, uh, I, in other words, how do you how do you uh, 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 address someone like Anthony Fauci, who is not a government official, uh, is, is a private citizen, if you will? Uh, I, I, how, how, aside from some sort of civil penalty, how, how do you go come back? What's the comeback on well, something like it, that?
12: I, 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 that's a good question. I mean he may very well have governmental immunity for what he said and did there is a traditional rule in the united states that uh government uh, officials and government entities are immune for what they did uh except in certain exceptions and unless there's a law Waving that immunity. So that realistically, as I said, there may be very little that can be done. I mean, I suppose when uh, the Republicans, now that the Republicans have control of the House of Representatives, they could drag him to a committee meeting and ask him questions that would humiliate him. But I mean, that is not quite at the level of overselling a vaccine, which may have caused many, many needless deaths.
2: All right. We've got we've got Uh, a lot. We've got a lot of folks.
12: That's what I say. Probably there probably will never be individual accountability for these people.
2: Gotcha. Let's get Joe on the line. My apologies. Joe, good morning. Thanks for holding. You're on. Please go ahead. Thank you.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm glad the drama with the Congress is over. But I'm also I would say if I was in a foxhole and I had a choice between uh being in there with Tester or Danes or Rosendale, I think I'd want to be with Rosendale. But, uh, you know, I think I wanted to mention what John Lott said the other day. He was talking, and Peter, you can kind of help me with this because I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he said, we have some pretty good laws and constitutional protections already. So to uh, say Congress shall make no laws... And he's, he kind of was saying, well, I, uh, I double dare not to make any laws or I promise, you know, pr- you know he, tell me what he said. Yeah, well, he,
2: he basically but, he was uh, saying it, it, it was so clearly uh, stated by the, the founders of the Constitution with, the, with uh, the Second Amendment that it simply can't be stated any more clearly.
0: Yeah, and so we're going to say, well, I promise, I double promise, I triple promise <laughs> not to make any laws.
12: And I don't know if okay, you're well, referring to Yeah, Go ahead. If I, if, I can, if I can respond to that. The fundamental problem with the federal government right now is that the U.S. Supreme Court has interpreted several clauses of the Constitution to give the federal government more power than it's supposed to have. So the question is, how do you repair the damage that the Supreme Court did with those decisions? And the founders' answer to that was, you pass a constitutional amendment overruling the decisions. In, um, in 1793, still, we're still talking the founding era, the U.S. Supreme Court issued a decision which expanded its own power greatly. The founders were still in control of Congress. They were in control of the state institutions. They said, this is wrong. The court has misinterpreted the Constitution. And so what they did is they passed a constitutional amendment, it's the 11th, you can look at it, which clarifies what the rules are. And because a constitutional amendment is difficult to pass and it represents a consensus of people, constitutional amendments are honored. And and the 11th amendment certainly has continues to be honored. It's a very powerful constitutional tool. So what you do is you pass a constitutional amendment, which says something like, uh, when the when the Supreme Court claimed that under the Commerce Clause um, uh, the the Congress can regulate the entire economy, that's not accurate. and, and, And here are the actual lines. You clarify them, okay? Now, you might say, well, how do we know that's going to work? And I would say, with Patrick Henry, the lamp of experience is our guide to the future. Constitutional amendments do work. Now, I don't know whether... John uh, Lott was uh, addressing the history, or if he's aware of the history. But it's, it's, the history is really dramatic. Again, if you go to the Article 5 information website, I've got an article about it. Every single constitutional amendment that we've passed uh, has had some effect, and most of them are still in full effect, with the arguable exception of the Ninth Amendment and the um, 18th Amendment, because the 18th Amendment was prohibition and it was repealed. They continue to have effect. Some of them were passed 200 years ago, and they continue to have effect. Gonna- so, uh, short of revolution, it is the it is the, the the strongest remedy that you can apply, and it's amazing that we have not applied it amid all the federal abuse in recent years
2: we're going to come right back in one minute we have still have uh we have judd tony and aaron try to get as many calls as we can right after this quick timeout welcome to the C- okay we're back uh rob nadelson joining us uh, from the independence institute we have uh brand new callers who've never been on before so judd you're up first with rob go ahead please good hi, morning John.
7: dr nadelson hi there? uh i'm here last time Last time I talked to you, I asked about habeas corpus. The time before that, I asked about standing. I'm still in a muddle. Uh, we, have got, we have guys in a gulag in Washington, D.C. Uh, why uh, why does nothing happen? Whose ass do I have to kiss to get something to happen there? Can you and I both throw in 35 bucks, hire the Seculo brothers, or why does... It seems like we're all sitting on our hands. Am I am I missing something? The eternal
2: question. All right, thanks for the call. I, obviously, talking about the January sixth detainees who are still haven't been haven't faced justice yet.
12: Right. Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that other than to tell you again, it's part of the systemic problem. Uh, until you fix the system, these things are going to keep happening. You know, uh, you can you can deal with symptoms or you can deal with the disease. If you deal with symptoms you might get some temporary relief but then they all come back but if you cure the disease then you've dealt with the symptoms permanently all
2: right up next it is tony tony thanks for holding you're on with rob nadelson go ahead sir
13: hey rob um I, hi tony a couple things on my mind this morning uh one is 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 the convention of states which i am uh, i am absolutely for uh I'm curious what you think just a single balanced budget amendment would do to Congress. It would take away so much of their ability to make deals. It would take away the necessity for the federal reserve to continue printing money. Uh, it, it would be a much less sexy job to be a Congressman if it were required that you had a balanced budget amendment. And I say that simply, what does it raise this odds of, of the convention of States, working if you have one single item a balanced budget amendment that all people can get behind the second part of the question is and you probably answered this i don't know i haven't listened to your entire program uh is there any effect on the second amendment by the convention of states okay thanks for the call go ahead great
12: great question the answer to the second question is no the Convention of States is limited to three topics. Fiscal restraints on the federal government, reductions in the size and scope of the federal government, and term limits. Nothing to do with the first, with the Second Amendment or frankly any other part of the Bill of Rights except it might be, might help to shore up the Tenth Amendment and the Ninth Amendment a bit. Um, balanced budget amendment, you're right. Uh, that one change, if the balanced budget amendment were well drafted, would would uh, be an enormous improvement. And it's not just for fiscal reasons either. When I was at the University of Montana, I learned that a lot of bad stuff comes from the federal government, is funded by the federal government, because Congress can simply write checks without worrying about the revenue. They can simply borrow the money. A lot of uh, bad social programs uh, or... um, uh uh, politically correct or woke projects wouldn't get funded if the federal government had to run a balanced budget because they would have to fund social security they would have to fund defense um and 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 of core uh core responsibilities like that they wouldn't have the money to spend on uh miscellaneous things that that tend to corrupt the society. So I've often thought that social conservatives should be getting behind a balanced budget amendment as well. But the one rub is this. Balanced budget amendments differ. We have experience with them in the states over 150 years now, more than that. Some of them work very well. Others work less well. Um, I actually wrote an article or a paper for the Heartland Institute a number of years ago. And you can get it on the Article 5 Information Center website explaining the kind of mechanism that probably would work with a balanced budget amendment as opposed to mechanisms that wouldn't work.
2: All right, well, we have time for one more call. We have, we have like about two and a half minutes. So uh, go ahead. You know, go ahead, Aaron. You're on with Rob. Got about two minutes.
11: Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. And good morning, Rob.
12: Good morning, Aaron. Um, so,
11: I heard through the grapevine, or I, I guess I had a, it presented to me, that the um, the that with the Fourteenth Amendment and the and the Fifth and Amendment that they require a grand jury for any. Um, for any felony convictions or language similar to that. And I was just wondering what you think of felony convictions. And it was presented that all felony convictions would be overturned in those states that do not require a grand jury um, for for a felony conviction, Montana being one of them, and California being another. That those all all those convictions would be overturned, and those inmates would be released.
12: Have you heard anything okay, about
2: this? Okay, thanks, thanks yeah, for let, the call. We got about a minute and a half, that. Rob. Go ahead.
12: Right. Um. The the Bill of Rights requires a grand jury indictment in federal court. Okay, not necessarily in state court. The U.S. Supreme Court has applied the 14th Amendment, and I'm not sure they're right about this. They've applied the 14th Amendment to um, mandate that certain parts of the Bill of Rights also be applied to the states that the states comply with the same rights that the federal government has to comply with, however, the Supreme Court has never done that with the grand jury, and so the states still have flexibility. they can elect to go the grand jury route or they can they can uh, prefer a uh, or proffer a, a uh, an indictment or a, a criminal prosecution in other ways until the u s Supreme Court rules that grand juries must be used in state criminal proceedings then the Montana system uh, is consistent with the decided constitutional law.
2: Rob, we are out of time. Uh, Tell folks how we can get more information about your books and where we can find them.
12: Well, I'm going to promote again the Article 5 Information Center website because the Article 5 Information Center has all kinds of material on the Convention of States mechanism we've talked about. I did my research on it long before the Organization Convention of States ever existed. It's very, very heavily documented. We are out of time, Rob. That's a good place to start.